1: Welcome in. It is the last show of the week for us, the 22nd of February, and it's time for an episode of Broncos for Breakfast. I am Nick Kendall and joined by, as always, Scott Kennedy. Scott, man, you are working overtime. What's going on? How are you doing? How's that? Uh, you got like a supply of lozenges or is you there know, some tea? What's going on?
2: <laughs> I actually have one I keep unwrapped right here in case I need it. So but, you know, just uh, just the one yesterday. So the Mondays are the three pod days. That's the one where I I'm, I'm glad we have Tuesdays off now. Okay, So it's it's nice to kind of recover and get some other stuff done. Like I just finally finished logging all of my senior bowl videos. So I had done one team this week. I did the other team. Cause if you're doing 11 V 11, you basically watch each play six times. So you go, okay, right. Tackle. And I've got a, I've got a a player. The VLC player gives you a shift back that drops back three seconds. So you watch the snap and you go right. Tackle. No, right. Guard. No center. Yes. Kingsley, Ebucom. left guard, Tanner Bortinelli. Yes. And then you write, then you put them all in a spreadsheet. So I ended up, I ended up with like a thousand lines of plays by the time I'm done. Now it's time to make all those edits. So it's time to, to, to get busy again. I took a little break, slowed down on the output because I was burned out a little bit, but now it's time to get all
1: these things going, coming out of combine. It would almost be worth it to have like a little, you know, College age intern, AV kind of dude to cut some. Of that up for you, it's just. I'm uh, too.
2: I, I'm. I don't trust people enough for that. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Maybe kind of a poor manager, I guess. That's why I'm. I'm good by.
1: I'm good by myself these days. I'm gonna do it all. Well, let's say hello. Doing it all this week is Scott, but do uh, it myself. <laughs> I feel that sometimes. Uh, we got Tyler Brooks coming in saying morning gang. Happy Thursday. Hope all is well. with ba- The baby, Nick. Baby's doing well. Baby's doing well. Uh, God bless you and yours. Hope all is well with you and your family too, Scott. Thank you so much, Tyler. It's really nice of you to come in and say hello like that. Uh right, We got uh, Jeremy coming in and saying morning boys. Interesting. How the narratives change with guys after measurements at the combine. I do think that the combine measurements and testing is always, there's like a blip and then guys elevate and then sometimes fall back down. I think the guys who elevate and stay there, it's not as much the combine testing. It is people in the media rubbing elbows, crossing paths with actual NFL decision makers, and you know a few drinks here. Let's. There's not a lot of sleep that goes on in Indy uh, during the combine. I'll put that put it out that way. Uh, that they're gonna have references crossed and be like, oh, these guys really do love. Adisa Isaac, uh edge rusher from Penn State. He's actually somebody that a lot of teams are going to talk about late in the first round. No, just an example here since Scott and I were just talking about him before the show today. Uh, so I think it's a lot of that, and it's it's verifying. Um, teams, I think it's – oh, gosh, I can't think of who I've heard talk about this. as is a longtime NFL scout, but they come in with their grades and they have expectations for what the measurements and testing are going to be. And if they fall within the ballpark of what they expect – then they'll keep their grade. It's not going to change much. You don't double grade, is what they say. Oh, Henry Ruggs is going to be fast. Okay, well, we don't grade him twice for being fast. Uh, But if you have somebody come in and they test way worse than you expected, okay, what's going on? We're going to go back to the tape or somebody who looked clunky that they test like a freak. It's like, okay, we're going back to the tape. What's going on here? So that's really more of the athletic measurements uh, standing out in terms of the -the on-the-field testing drills.
2: And And it's nice to hit the pro days just in case something's up. Yeah. You know, like you can, you can actually, like, like you said, double verify. Okay. you ran a four, three, eight at the combine. And then you might not run again. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, again, the standardization, or they might only run at their pro days. Well, there better have been an injury in there. You know, it makes me a little nervous when guys don't run at all. Um, mm-hmm. you know, get seen, you know, you want these guys to pay you, then you, you've got to, uh, you got to go through it. And I think, I think the guys that have the, the meteoric rise at the combine are the defensive players i think they're the ones that are most more dependent on athleticism than skill again this is a bigger str- bigger stronger faster league it's an athlete's game mm-hmm. this isn't baseball it's not even basketball i mean you got to be a freak of an athlete to play basketball anyway but it's not the skill that it takes to perfect those crafts and become a professional you know you don't have guys that are say oh i was a tight end in college until my junior year, or a uh, uh, Power forward, but I was only 6'5", so I went out for the football team, and here I am in the NFL. It doesn't work like that in other sports. But the defensive side of the ball is more athlete-dependent than the offensive side of the ball, so you can see those guys really skyrocket, have a meteoric
1: rise on the defensive side of the ball with a good good combine. I will add one comment on that. Uh, I I agree with you 95%. There's one position on the offense that I think you do see the meteoric rises – and from the testing and the measurements, and that is the tight end uh, position, mm. the tight end. Historically, um, there's the shout out to Kent Platt, who's going to be releasing the relative athletic scores soon. But as far as correlation between draft success and NFL success, there's a really high correlation between big testers working out at tight end. Uh, was the so 49ers guy that was so good for Maryland. Vernon Davis.
2: Vernon Davis. Yeah, he was uh, he was in my first class and we I think we put he was my number one tight end coming out mm-hmm. in my very first class of high school. So I think he was a class of 2003. And then went and, and did all those things. Yeah, I was waiting for you to say I was like, if you say wide receiver, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back at that one.
1: No, it's, it's just tight be, end just
2: because wide receiver. Everybody's fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's fast. You're either six, four, running sub four, six, or you're six foot running sub four, four. There's too many fast guys for somebody to come in and run a 4-3 and be like,
1: oh, I got to have him in the first round. No, there's there's lots of guys like that now. Yeah, for the wide receiver, it's more of the enough factor versus yeah. like if you're up to the you know 50th percentile and better in terms of the speed and the size athleticism score and your tape is good, trust the tape. Uh, there's If you go to the highest RAS guys at wide receiver in NFL history, obviously there's going to be a few freakazoids out there you know your julio's own calvin johnson's but not as much mm-hmm. correlation there uh with other positions so it's, it's the tight end spot um for me that's one that uh, is out there uh, that you want to look at as well we got string guy coming in saying good morning after the combine starts i'm looking forward to see how the quarterbacks test 40 times on receivers cornerbacks one thing i'm enjoying that the nfl is starting to make public is the more important than the 40 yard dash is the 10 yard split of the 40 yard dash mm-hmm. how fast can you get up to 10 yards because that, I mean, that's 99% of football, right? It's the how quick you can get there, as well as the the jumps and the agilities, of course. But to me, I mean, the 40-yard, is with the 10-yard dash being there, it's almost a little archaic. I'll, I'll take the 10-yard split every time. Um, there, now, it's weird. You look back in history, Scott. I think we talked about this last year. The 40-yard dash time, do you know what position has the strongest correlation to success and uh, a good 40 time? Oh, in a good forty time, yes, I'd probably say the
2: athleticism translate the most rarely the bigger you are. Yeah, so I would say defensive tackle or offensive guard. It's offensive <laughs> tackle, like the yeah. so guys- good offensive lineman, because those yeah. guys, in order to run a five flat forty at that size, you've got to be just an unbelievable athlete at that yep. size. It's so rare, yep. and if you give me a six six guy with. 35 inch arms running a five flat 40 that runs weighs 330 pounds. Pretty good chance. He's going to be a good offensive tackle.
1: Yeah, so I just because I was like, oh, how often do you see an offensive lineman run 40 yards? Well, you look at the numbers based on how guys have yeah, done in the league. It's, <laughs> it's pretty it's interesting. Just, it, it means he can do everything else, too, yeah. is is yeah. the thing. And and again,
2: I, I haven't always worried too much about the 10 yard split because I think there's a pretty good correlation to the shuttle. So it's like, if you Mm -hmm. see a good shuttle, you're going to see a good 10 yard split for most time because that's your burst. That's your get off. And if you can get off, you can usually change directions as well. Mm -hmm. So, so I like seeing it, but I, I still, I'm still a big Elcone shuttle guy is really where I look
1: for my athletes. And I really love for the defensive side of the ball, specifically the front seven, they've added the, the hoop drill. Out there so seeing how good those guys can bend around there and keep their momentum is always important and fun to see uh but yeah we're going to talk a little combine today we got string guy also coming in and says i saw a mock that had denver moving up to pick seven to get ahead of atlanta and take jj mccarthy any thoughts on that possibility titans are currently picking that seventh i think that's very possible uh, if the broncos identify mccarthy as a guy they really like and they're calling and let's say they can't get up to five Chargers aren't interested in the package they have. Uh, The Giants are saying, nope, we're taking Malik Neighbors here. He's too good. We haven't ranked as good as Marvin Harrison Jr. Nope. Um, And then Atlanta's like, or excuse me, Titans are like, well, we like Joel, but we also like Olufoshanu and Talise Fuaga and a bunch of these defensive guys. You want to give us a 2025 first and 12 to move up to from 12 to seven? Okay, deal. Uh, It's probably what it will cost. Um, I think that's a possibility, but it all comes down to – the Broncos evaluation on the guy. And if teams are willing to play ball and heck, there's a possibility that somebody moves up to five to get a JJ McCarthy or a Jaden Daniels. Scott, I'm I've been kind of biting my biting my tongue on that one. I don't think Daniels is in the same conversation as a Drake may or a Caleb Williams. So I'm expecting, I think there's a more than a, I think there's a chance that the Patriots, don't take a quarterback there. They take Marvin Harrison Jr. They have $75 million in cap space. That's a Justin field slash Kirk cousins watch team with all that cap space there and then getting Marvin Harrison Jr. So, uh, we'll see. Uh, but I think that's certainly possible. Yeah, we will see. Um, you can, you can talk me into that. I'd I'd probably
2: still go one, two, three at quarterback would be where I'm still leaning, but you could talk me into it. And again, I think again, if he falls to four, I think the the Cardinals are open for business again. I think that's, that's a team to watch and string guy. I'm going to, I'm going to couple this with Jeremy's comment because when I first saw this, it made me think he says, uh, you know, seven to get ahead of Atlanta and take JJ McCarthy. Any thoughts on the possibility? My initial thought is Atlanta is the team to watch here. They're desperate for a quarterback too. And if they like JJ McCarthy, you're going to have a hard time getting ahead of them. So I ask yourself, it's like, without because they, they've got possibly two number two picks and a first that's ahead of you and at least they've got a two and two threes to get ahead of you so they can anytime the titans the titans at seven did you say mm-hmm. yep. yeah yeah the titans are currently picking seven there we go it's right there in front of me if the titans are on the phone with the broncos the, Bron- the first thing the titans are going to do are they call the falcons say hey listen they're going to give me this to move up i'm pretty sure they're going to want your quarterback what do you think falcons say okay, we want to do this. We'll, we'll, we want that guy or no, we're good. Go ahead. That's not all right. But if they want JJ McCarthy, they're going to get hard. They're going to be hard to get in front of, which brings up the question. Cause this is what I think it would cost. Jeremy Sean says, would you rather have Drake may and trade the farm or JJ McCarthy and next year's first? Because I think that's what it would cost you to get ahead of Atlanta. It, it would take two first round picks to get ahead of the Falcons. The Falcons and- might say eight in a second is as high as I'm going to go or eight in a second. And if it, they're like, no, we're going to have we're, we're going to go with the two first because we're on the phone with Sean Payton and says, hey, we're we've already gotten rid of all of our players and it'll probably be a top 10 pick next year. So mm-hmm. it's not just this year's pick. If, if we go into this draft Broncos country in a full rebuild, next year's pick becomes incredibly valuable is it could be a top 10 pick. If you get rid of bulls, if you cut in cap space with Simmons, cut in cap space with Sutton, you're you're looking at the possibility of another top 10 pick. And as Jeremy says, or Knicks at 12, would you rather trade the farm for May? No one. I think it would be astronomically unbelievably. You probably can't do it expensive. McCarthy is going to cost you two first round picks. Probably not. Uh, to get up into get up ahead of Atlanta, if Atlanta wants uh, wants him at at eight or Knicks at twelve, I'm probably going Bo Knicks at twelve here. You're not getting
1: my 2025 first. I want to know what the farm is for May uh, in the end. And it's three
2: firsts and change, or two firsts and certain,
1: and 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 change. I'm interested. I love Drake May, and uh, I think he's a special combination of athleticism and arm talent, and. Uh, Creativity as well. I mean, everybody it's not Caleb Williams' level of creativity, but there's a few plays where May is, you know, sky hooking a ball in the red zone. I mean, he's he's also I mean, he's got a little bit of not to this extent, but the the red zone rushing ability that you see, you know, you can do quarterback ISO power with him. And that's I we know how much Peyton loves that with Taysom Hill. Well, now you have, actually have a quarterback who can run and do it. So I think I'm thinking at the end of the day, the quarterbacks are gonna go one and two. And the pay, the Bears and the Commanders are going to tell everybody to shove off because they're that caliber of quarterback prospects, and both those teams need them. Uh, but if there's even a chance at Drake May, for me, um, from what I've evaluated, I think he's he's really a special quarterback prospect. So I'd be on the phone at least taking at least seeing what it would cost. Think of it from the other side,
2: okay? Would I rather have Drake May, or would I rather have Sam Howell? Number 12, a top 10 pick next year and Pat Sertan.
1: I'd rather have Drake may,
2: <laughs> then you can't make that move because yeah. Sam is. is they're not going to make that move. Cause they'd rather have Drake may. Yeah. I'd rather so have that. Um, that's the problem. Yeah. Okay. If you're, you're going to have to talk somebody out
1: that needs a quarterback too. Yep. yep. That That's the problem of trying to get Drake may. So I think in that situation, I could stomach. And the thing is about Nick's at 12, like it would stink if you took him at 12 and it didn't work, but you have a cost controlled quarterback who probably is at least going to come in and be the 25th. It's going to be like, probably at worst, it's Kenny Pickett, right? Like that's like, okay, the arm talent, the ability to drive the ball outside the numbers, the creativity, uh, a little bit robotic uh, in the play style, but he can be a point guard and we can, Brock Purdy him to an extent. I think he's more talented uh than Brock Purdy is. Uh, but that's I don't know. I think Drake May is a pretty damn good quarterback prospect. And if he was available, I would be interested. And I think he's probably a better quarterback prospect than anybody in last year's class. Uh obviously we have hindsight with CD Stroud, but as a prospect, I think May's better than anybody in last year's class. I think he's probably gonna be better than anybody in next year's class as well. 2026, wait and see. I'm really intrigued with uh the quarterback at Tennessee. I know everybody's Arch Manning obsessed, but haven't seen him yet. Saw some stuff from that quarterback at Tennessee, a true freshman, uh, Nico. I've early, if some betting advice here, early odds, I, I'd be curious with the Heisman odds for, uh, Nico are because man, he is, he's pretty fun. Uh, Troy coming in says, Hey guys, do you think any teams? real quick, real quick? And then we'll get to Troy. I know I showed Troy to, to, to get to your point that that, that the problem
2: I have when you're talking about these, these, these players, that's the problem I have with the historical comps to trade value, mm-hmm. okay? So we look at what, what the Panthers – oh, well, let's look at – this is what the the Bears got for the Panthers trade to trade out a number one last year, so this is what it'll cost. This is what it took to move from 12 to 3 with Trey Lance for the 49ers, so this is what it'll cost, or thereabouts. No! When the Bears came out of that, it's because they didn't want a quarterback. Those teams want a quarterback. When the Bears came out of that, it was for Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Now, C.J. Stroud was phenomenal, but he did not have near the Q rating that Drake May and Caleb Williams have coming in. So you're mm-hmm. talking about not just if you're looking at historical value, use that as a starting point and then factor in the teams that you're trying to trade with also need a quarterback and the quarterbacks that are available are better prospects.
1: You're not getting them, dude. Yeah, I, I just, I know we're talking on hypotheticals, I don't see how we come out of the combine with Drake may not going to, but again, things change. I I could be completely wrong. If you asked me what three years ago, I'm like, Oh yeah, Justin Fields, the second best quarterback should be number two overall. Somehow Zach Wilson and, uh, Trey Lance go higher. I I guess in hindsight, Justin Fields probably should have been the second quarterback taken. Uh, maybe not to the extent that he was the second overall player in that class. Uh, but Mm -hmm. interesting, no doubt. I just, I think May is a hell of a player. Um, No doubt. Uh, Troy Boer, thank you again for the big, generous super chat. says, do you guys think teams would trade two firsts and two seconds for Sertan? I'm warming up to the idea. Have a great show. I think that probably some teams at the back end, they might be interested in two firsts and a third rounder or fourth rounder. I mean, it's the the Jalen Ramsey trade in the end, but I also think, I've talked about it on here, I think that the value of cornerback has decreased just a little bit. Over the last three to four years, you have way more too high safety shells. You have way more light boxes. So this right now where space is on defenses is the area between the safeties and linebackers and the area between the linebackers and quarterbacks who can hit there are valuable. But they're protecting cornerbacks more, I think, with today's defense, with more zone coverage, with more too high safety shells. So I think the value of cornerbacks just dipped slightly. Um, so maybe it's not as high as the Ramsey trade back then, but Ramsey was a malcontent. He had multiple issues with the Jags. They were motivated sellers where the Broncos would, you have to make me an offer where it's kind of like the the commanders, right? Okay. okay. What would you offer? Uh, because I'm not interested, but like I could be interested. Uh, so that's, um, I think that's what it would be. You're probably a year early still on the Sertan trade. Uh, but we talked about on Monday's show, the data for cornerbacks after their sixth year in the league is not good as far as being elite difference makers. Uh, So Sertan's younger, he's a really good player, and he's technical and big, which those things don't go away. Athleticism can diminish, but your size and your technical aspects do not diminish as much. So he should have more stain. I want to qualify that statement
2: because I hear people repeating it, that you're saying that and taking that and, and running with it. Okay. I think that statement has as much to do with their age as it does with the mileage in the NFL. Okay, Mm -hmm. most cornerbacks that are playing at a high level aren't coming in at twenty. Pat Sertan, I think, yeah. But again, I I think the prime for a cornerback would probably be somewhere between twenty-four and twenty-eight, which is for most guys would be the sixth year in the league. Just like all physical, the the closer you get to being thirty or on the wrong side of thirty, your physical skills start to diminish, which is more important at cornerback than anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I think Pat Sertan has a longer I mean he's also better than you know most most corners yeah he's you know i mean you know and i grew up with daryl green who played at a high level till he was 38 um there so there's there there are outliers but i I think i think it's the closer you get to 30 which for most corners most even at the pro bowl level
0: this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently
2: Six seven years there, so I, I yeah. think that's that's where that is. And when you've got a guy who's again, Pat Sertan is is younger than Michael Penix and Bo Nix coming into this. You want to try and get younger in the draft? Oh, we want to get younger at cornerback. We should move Pat Sertan. That's insane. There's there's probably going to be twenty cornerbacks in this draft that are older than
1: Pat Sertan. I know that's an exaggeration. Yeah, I the one pushback I would have is cornerback is historically. I think the youngest position in the draft. Um, I think it's because, the it's, average it, it, it,
2: because it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a traits position mm-hmm. and traits manifest themselves a lot earlier than skill. Yep. So, you know, I've got four, three speed and a, a three, nine shuttle at 17 years old. Um, yeah. You know, I'll pick up some size and stuff, but again, I, I still think Pat Sertan is going
1: to play at a pro bowl level for 10 years yeah P- probably it's the cornerback thing is so hard because one injury and you are done it's very fickle in that right. um uh, that way it's more yeah, that's so a than a
2: qualifier for a lot yeah
1: i think it's more so for corner than other positions uh and it, one thing you know it's just to kind of drive that home scott is that and you know this well because you go down there and cover it but what's areas of the field typically you do not have you know it's okay we are really fun excited to see the trenches out here and now we're getting to the cornerbacks out here okay we might have three guys going in the top one hundred uh at the the cornerbacks at the yep. senior bowl because the guys who are the haves and the have nots at that position, they come out underclassmen, uh historically. So yeah, obviously you always have outliers there. Keon Mitchell is one this year, but uh that's that's the only pushback I'd have is that's a position yeah, that is the the idea with
2: hand isn't necessarily about his age. It's about the money. Yeah. For me. Like it's it's okay his contract goes up exponentially it goes up to 20 million dollars in in 2025 and then if you don't want him to hit that ex, ex, option i can because that'd be a fully guaranteed contract with a full bore cap hit in yeah. on a one year on a one-year option his fifth year option is a one-year deal basically fully guaranteed full bore cap hit or i could sign him to an extension and i can spread that across and i can actually lower his cap hit that said the guaranteed money that he is going to get is going to be a record for cornerbacks
1: for defensive, for back seven players. Even yep. I think it's, it's going time. to be a record. So
2: yep. are you in your window where you can afford? And probably you probably are, you know, where I can say the next four years, starting in 2026, do I want an all pro corner for the next four years? Because that's what it's going to cost you and getting out from Russell Wilson's contract will afford you that option. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I can spend that, especially if I have a rookie quarterback on a cost-control contract for five years.
1: And I've said this on here before. I think the Sertan conversation, if it nets you, your quarterback, I think you have to do it. Uh, that's one where that's that's the the kicker there, your your guy, then you can talk about it. If not, I think you're probably a year early overall. Let's say the Broncos are 0-6 at the trade deadline, and this team is just obvious dog water. Uh, then maybe you, you're you opening that uh, window to move Sertan. And then next off season, you know, if you're starting 0-6 or whatever and you finish like a top five pick, uh, does it make sense for you to pay a corner when you have, you know, three years left when the defense is probably going to be terrible up front still with that, if you're that bad? Um, so a lot depends on how this season plays out. The Again, the really only, unless somebody pays, you know, quarterback price for Sertan, then I'm interested or Sertan nets you your quarterback. Otherwise, I just I can't imagine a scenario where it makes makes sense.
2: Yeah, it's kickstarting a rebuild. If if I'm going full rebuild. I could use five players, not
1: one. And I could get five starters out of Pat Sertan. I, I still think it's a year early, though, um, mm-hmm. unless it gets you your guy. Because um, quarterback is is a different conversation. I, I'm on, I've, I'm going to start, Scott, I think, with big boards going the, on.
2: The, the hard part that people have, though, is, again, you're your guy, if you hit it, yes, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. But it's so unknown. You I know, know it's like yeah. I'm trading, I'm trading this guy who I'm trading a 23 year old two time pro bowl, all pro corner for a maybe. Are you crazy? I get that. I do. Mm-hmm. But y- you got to You got to swing big. I mean, if you're, gonna, if you're going to, if you're going to maximize your chances of hitting, you got to swing big. You know, yeah, I could drop, I could drop down a bunt and they could throw it in the outfield and I could leg it into a triple and then they could fumble it around and I, I come around and score on it with a seventh round pick. That's the odds of that
1: happening. If I'm going to try and hit a home run, I got to swing big. Yep, it's it's tough because the hit rate is not awesome. But also if you don't hit, you you don't have a seat at the table. So <laughs> you got to play, right? It's not, I can't luck. walk away
2: from the table. Oh, no. it's too expensive for me. I got I got to get out of here. No, you're going to have to play. You're
1: playing yep. in 17 games next year. Yep. Who are you going out uh, there with? It's interesting. We got Miguel San Stephen. Good to see you, Miguel. He says, good morning, fellas. been a while. It has. Uh says, hope you're doing well. I miss sleep. Um, but uh, other than that, I am doing pretty well and uh, enjoying the conversation today. Having a lot of fun. I see Micah's in the house, too. Good afternoon from Manchester. We love our across the sea folks there. Interesting photo of a goose. I'm not sure what's going on here, but uh, you know, good good to see you. It's not a Canadian goose, so we're okay with that. Dave Glassman, Zach Powers in the house. Great to see you, Zach. Um, hope you're doing well. Uh, we got Eric saying, these podcasts relax me before going to college. Thanks, y'all, and good morning. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad it gives you a little bit of a, a relaxed feeling because Scott and I sometimes can be a little bit uh, intense, you know, Ugh. <laughs> but uh, especially when we're passionate gets about me something. me fired up. I'm
2: pretty laid back, you know, usually – until we get going, then I then I get going. These like I've said before,
1: these these are like workouts for me. I get I get all excited. Yeah, we do love the academic conversations, you know, the philosophical team building stuff. It's pretty fun to get into. Uh, Rock Chalk Broncos five dollars uh, says, looking forward to the combine as we might hear some news about the Broncos regarding moves and get some clarity on what direction they're going. Yeah, that's honestly I I'm all about the prospects and the the uh, the process of the draft, but as far as the Broncos are concerned. I think the big news we're going to get out of this week will be related to updates on veterans on the move or not on the move. Uh, there's an article by SpotRack uh, the other day that talked about like Broncos sound like they're probably going to move a lot of people because they're coming into cap hell. Mike Kliss has mentioned multiple times now in articles about uh, the Broncos entering a season of cap hell. And fortunately, I didn't know this, Scott. Um, there's like an option that the Broncos can they can either decline or defer, but it results in the the dead cap hit being flipped. So what, my understanding before was that this year would be like a 35 million and then 2025 would be a 55 million. It's actually the Broncos can do some, if this is to be believed and spot racks, pretty reputable. I believe them. That's, um,
2: that's that, what we, we yeah. did a whole show on that on Sunday night. Yeah. So and I believe them. Be, on, on that article, we yeah. did a whole show on that Thursday night. And and this was the, this was the conclusion we came to go ahead.
1: Yeah. That it's reputable and the Broncos can take it more in the teeth in 2025 or 2024 mm-hmm. dead cap hit 50 million a dead cap biggest ever for a single player and then get i think it's only 30 or 30, 25 to 35 um in uh 2025 so that gives you your window open sooner but that also means that you're up against it more this season which means high high priced guys your DJ Joneses your Garrett Bowleses, your Cortland Suttons your uh Justin Simmons I think every single one of those guys is going to be approached with a contract extension, and if they do not agree, Denver is going to be motivated sellers.
2: Yeah, because you can knock those guys down to about $5 million in cap hit. You can save about $40 million in cap hit with extensions on those three guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you're already 22 in the hole, but it was something like 55 and 32 were the numbers. And this is the thing why I say about cap hell. Now, you're kind of in cap hell anyway. I mean, Russell Wilson was going to carry a you know, close to a $40 million cap hit this year, it's only going up a little bit by cutting him. <laughs> it's not going up that much. You're getting rid of Russell Wilson does not change the fact what, whether you do with him or not, doesn't change the fact that you're up against the salary cap. Yeah. And that's where some of those contracts were coming in. Plus again, if and once I, I get about 12 or 13 back from Tim Patrick as well, I get about 10 back from DJ Jones. There's $60 million right there. If you take that cap hit at $55 million this coming year, you actually save over $20 million in available cap space on Russell Wilson's contract in 2025. So cap hell is one year it's this year. And I would bet a lot of money that that's the route they go is, is take it in the teeth this year, rip the band-aid off, you actually have more available money in 2025 than you would have if Russell Wilson was on your roster. That's not bad. That's no. not bad. That said, you still have to get your quarterback. Um, and it is why it makes so much sense to get a rookie because if I got a rookie on three, I've got a quarterback, If I got a rookie on $3 million on a $3 million cap hit in 2025 and I'm saving $23 million, I'm plus 20 to the good at my quarterback position because I made this move early to move on from Russell Wilson, and that's why you make that move. Cap hell is one year Broncos country.
1: Don't let anybody tell you different. And there's some, I would love to get a cap expert and bend their ear, and we'll find out really what the details are as it happens, but I'm pretty sure with the June 1st designation, you're even in more limited. You're not necessarily more in cap hill, but you're more limited because the savings that you get don't become available to you to spend until June 1st, and that's well after everything's happened. So really, it makes more sense to put it on the first year because you're not going to be able to spend anyway, uh because the money of coming from that contract. So right. uh, that would be it's be one year. Um it does mean I'll that qualify 2025... my statement. Okay.
2: You're only in cap Hill because of Russell Wilson's contract for one year. Now, what they decide to do with the rest of their money and other contracts. I, I don't know. You know, uh, Sean Payton has a bad habit of uh, extensions and deferred money and and, and having years. to, I don't know if it's all Sean Payton. The New Orleans Saints under Sean Payton had a bad habit of being $50 million in the hole before every season.
1: Yeah. <sighs> well, we'll just see what happens uh, with them. Uh, it'll be interesting. I do not expect them to be big spenders this year with everything going on, though. Michael Ronquillo says, "Good morning, Nick and Scott on Broncos for breakfast. Go Broncos, go, Michael. We always appreciate you." He says, uh, "My new nickname is Michael Ronk Sunrise Ronquillo. I like it." The I think Ronk Michael. Man. I
2: think here you're the Ronk on on my channel. You're, you're Sunrise. I think that's the way we go. Otherwise, it gets a little wordy, brother. And then it's it, a nickname's supposed to be smaller. It's supposed to make things <laughs> easier. It's so. I think, because uh, if your name was Michael Ronk, Sunrise and Keogh, I think, one, you were Brazilian, and two, that you needed a nickname.
1: It's a Game of Thrones name. The uh, first of his name, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the provider of Tucson. I don't, I don't know. That's uh, good to see you, Michael. We got Sean Burns in the house. Mr. Roush says uh, he'd rather just bite the Bulls' contract and draft a tackle early. The uh, Early picks should definitely not be, a, if not a quarterback, or defensive line. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's got to be probably will be quarterback or offensive tackle or defensive line. If they sit there at 12 Rob bucks bombs in the house. Great to see. Sex um, says Nick has paternity leave on Tuesdays. I don't go on official paternity leave until April uh, right before the draft. It lines up pretty well. So uh, yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be something you're doing taking comp time right now. I'm no, I'm going to work. Oh, that's right. Okay. I'm at, I'm at the work. I got at, in trouble for that because I didn't well. take as much time off as my wife would have liked. Um, uh, I'm doing what I can. Luckily I have very supportive, uh, work and flexible work. Alex Barrio says, what scenario and type of a year do you guys see the Broncos being best case for the Broncos outside of a miracle season where we beat the chiefs twice? I have a very hard time seeing the Broncos being, I think their ceiling next year is probably what the Steelers were this year. We're like, okay, you are being coached to some wins here and there. And it's like, okay, well you look at the outside numbers. You're not really that good, but you're winning games because you're tough and you're winning in the margins and you get a wild card spot and you get boat raced. Uh, I think that's probably best case scenario for this Broncos team. I've said it on here a few times and you guys can disagree with me if you want, but when I look at this roster, uh, I think that you're probably taking away a lot of talented key pieces. You're not going to really see the ramification of the Wilson contract until this season and next season. As far as the draft picks, like you're missing those young up and coming players that should be making impacts right now from the picks two, two years ago, right? So it's like those up-and-coming guys aren't here to fill out your roster. So I think expect a downturn They're on the roster. I also think last season you had probably unsustainable injury luck. Uh, you were one of the top five, seven teams in terms of um, snaps lost to starters due to injury. You had the third healthiest offensive line, which is just don't expect that again. Um, that just, just doesn't happen. Uh, and also you had by far the most fumble recovery luck of any team in the NFL and turnovers aren't necessarily lucky they're chaotic but they're not necessarily lucky especially interceptions interceptions are more created than luck but enforcing fumbles is more created than luck but the the actual act of falling on fumbles is a coin flip and the Broncos called the right coin flip way more than any other time this season so um, I don't expect that to happen again.
2: Alex, I think the best case scenario for the Broncos is you extend three key players in Garrett Bowles, Justin Simmons, Cortland Sutton, knocking your cap hit down so you can keep them just fine. Uh, you get internal replacements at center. Alex Forsyth plays at an adequate level. You either have Jarrett Stidham or a rookie quarterback playing at, a, at a, an average level because, you know, the reason why, one of the reasons why, I don't think we can assume we're going to get as good a numbers from the quarterback position next year, despite Russell Wilson being gone. Well, Russell Wilson stunk. Russell Wilson didn't stink. He was, he wasn't bad. He had a decent season. He's just, he was too expensive. I'd rather have $20 million in a new quarterback in 2025 than Russell Wilson. That's what it comes down to. Take care of those things. Hit on some of your draft picks. Have Drew Sanders, have Marvin Mims, have Riley Moss take a first to second year leap. And I think 10 wins is about your ceiling. That's the best case for me.
1: I agree. And it's also really possible Greg that you-
2: getting healthy to help you need. You need some internal improvement, which you yeah. will get in some places just through osmosis, just through the natural progression of players getting better year to year. But you could have some regression in some places too.
1: Yeah. And again, Denver had a lot of injury luck last season and maybe there is something to that. We won't really know about, Oh, well it's because they changed their staff. Well, let's see. I want to see like 10 years of data before we can say that I want to see a very broad sample size. Cause just how noisy uh, that tends to be year to year in the NFL. But yeah, I think next year is a rebuilding year. I think at the combine and, uh, after free agency and whatnot, we're going to have some more press conferences going on. And I know immediately after the season, we had Penner up there, we had Peyton up there talking about, "I want to win right now too. We want to win now." Uh, but I think now that you are taking a step back and evaluating the roster, and especially with the way the Russell Wilson's dead cap hits, I'm thinking their tune might change a little bit about where the team is at. I'm at least I'm hoping. I like the realism uh, personally, but you know, pie in the sky is good for some folks also. Just uh, if you like I, that, this might not be the show for you. I don't
2: care what they say. (laughs) There you go. I don't care. Show me what happens over the next month in free agency with Garrett Bowles, Justin Simmons, and Cortland Sutton, and I'll know what your expectations are for this season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's start to get into it here. There's more people, obviously, in here. Kathy's in here. I always love to see uh, Lawrence Rivera, Chris Beeston, uh, Keith Brugman's in the house, too. Love you, Keith. Joey's in here. Just sign Uncle Rico and get it over with. Love that. Uh, always appreciate you coming in. Uh, Combine. A week away from the NFL Combine, and I want to talk about a few guys that we want to. And, yeah, Zach's talking about my love of Drake May. I'm sure you're too confident in your evaluation, Nick. Probably. Uh, probably, but, man, I really do like Drake May. Um, he's a heck of a player, um, and I don't think he'll be available. Uh, but if, fact- if again... We just, we went through that and I asked the
2: question from the commander's point of view and you said, no. said, I wouldn't do it. No, Th- that's the problem. Cause that's what it's going to cost in a mm. normal year to try and move up from 12 to, to number one, number two. That's what it costs. Mm. Normally yep. is the equivalent of three first round picks and more, let alone trying to buy out a team that needs a quarterback. That's it'd be unprecedented.
1: Yeah, we got Oblivion Empire uh, as well coming in. Always good to see you. He's found our Broncos show, Oblivion. We yeah, appreciate you coming you. in. We
2: talk a lot of quarterbacks here. We promised you. Uh, we promised
1: yeah. you. Yeah, and Zach says Nick scanned over the linebacker part of his comment. Uh, he spelled my last name wrong. But um, no, if he, Scott, if you they're tight, tight ends and linebackers. That's what uh, the, the Hawkeyes do. So maybe. Also, Cal's in here. I love Cal. Uh, guys standing out. Guys we're excited to see. Scott, I'm going to set this one up for you on a T. Uh, because I want you to talk about this player. So uh, we didn't talk about it beforehand, but somebody who Mel Kuyper has said wouldn't be shocked if he skyrockets into the top 10 of the draft after the combine, somebody that I think you were very impressed by down at the senior bowl, somebody that could fill the void of that versatile inside, outside pass rusher that if he tests excellent at the six, five, you know, 290 pounds, uh, could be somebody that maybe ends up in the Broncos range and somebody we're talking about here because athleticism matters at the defensive end, edge rusher spot more than any other position in NFL. And that's, who is this?
2: I haven't heard you say his name, but I know I who you're you. talking about. And it's it's Darius yeah. Robinson. Um, he he was inside, outside. He was right side, left side. And at 280 pounds, I don't need Adafa Owe type of athleticism. I think he was almost, he was over to it. He's like 286. I got it in front of me. Why don't you just look it up, Scott? Um, cause by the time I find it, he was, um, let's see what he was. Uh, I'll look it up in a second. He, he was inside, outside, right side, left side. So he can be a three down player pass rush, hold an edge. He's got some technique that he needs to work on, but you see the, the, the burst, the strength, the tools are all there. I going to see what he grades because he played at the senior bowl like a top 15 pick. Absolutely. Will he end up a top 15 pick? Probably not. Uh, it, it reminded me of the the week that uh, Jermaine Johnson had really. Uh, Jermaine Johnson was phenomenal. I think he might be a little quicker, but, uh, but Darius was significantly bigger. And I think there, I think Jermaine ended up sneaking into the, the second half of the first round. And ended up being a really good player. Was it Jets took him? Yep. And I think, I think he's he's started pretty well for the Jets. So Darius Robinson has a chance. He's already made himself a lot of money. He's mm-hmm. got a chance to make himself even more because it's an exponential curve. Every if he's got himself into the first round from the third round, he's made a lot of money. Now every step he takes is significantly more money from 29 to 25, from 25 to 20. He's got a chance
1: to make himself into a teens type of pick, I think. Well, like I said, Mel Kuyper mentioned that coming out of the combine, you could see Darius Robinson start to get some top 10 buzz uh, just because of the profile that he has. Uh, I don't think there are many four-eye types in this class with the length and the inside-outside versatility. Uh, A name that I think you maybe mentioned, Scott, I definitely saw it in the ether, but uh, Cam Jordan type where he's like this big edge that can reduce inside. That's the guy I've been saying. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a, the size and the power plays. And one thing about Robinson, I will say is that he is an older player and it took until this season for him to really come into his own. And there is pretty good historical precedent that like the guys that are the dudes at those spots tend to be the dudes when they're 20 years old in college. And it took until he was about 22. So that's why the guy that I'm going to talk about here that I'm excited about really intrigues me and excites me. And that's Byron Murphy, another defensive lineman, out of Texas, uh had the highest pass rush win rate in college this last season. Obviously playing next to the little bit more college profile guy, Q rating as you like to say, Scott, and Tavandre Sweat. But Byron Murphy is the gonna be the NFL draft darling on that Texas defense and probably that Texas team coming out of this season. Uh, he is I'm curious to see where he tests and where his length is. I'm hoping to see he's about 6'1, 305 to 310. And I he came in this season at Texas only 20 years old, and I want to see what the testing is. The jumps, the I want to see what he looks like with the bags, and I want to see the the 10-yard split with him. But he is somebody, I think right now he is very much a dark horse candidate for the Broncos at 12 overall. Uh, I think that he is a three technique that can play one technique as well. I think he has the frame that he can put on another 10 to 15 pounds, and he was dominant at Texas. I don't think he is a no-doubt top 10 pick kind of guy. Uh, and I think that there's probably a couple defensive tackles next season that I'll like more than Byron Murphy. Uh, Murphy doesn't always finish plays that well, but pressures matter so much for defensive linemen, especially defensive tackles. And he's taken on double teams. He's getting back there. They have him lined up at one technique a lot. So he's a phenomenal player. I th- I'm really curious to see what he weighs like and what he tests like. So uh, I really want to give a shout out and maybe turn Broncos country to Byron Murphy, who I think has a chance to be the first defensive player off the board when it's all said and done.
2: It's a big shout. That is a that's a big shout for him. Um, and uh, Darius Robinson, just for the full uh full numbers, he was 6'5 at the at the at the senior bowl. He was 6'5, 286. And I'm gonna round up on these just a little bit. 35 inch arms, 10 and a half inch hands, 85 inch wingspan. That's seven foot one on a wingspan big boy. that's not only keeping guys out of your chest that's blocking passing lanes with a wingspan like that he's he's an impressive physical specimen for sure
1: yeah and we got jeremy Sand stealing your ideas i mean scott and i if you come if you guys have stuck with us at all for any sort of time you know that we are defensive line guys through and through Um, i'm gonna kick it off again here scott another guy that i'm interested uh to see coming out of the the combine is tight end uh, Theo Johnson out of Penn State? This is not a good at tight end class this season, uh, but Theo is big, and I loved the usage at Penn State for him. I think he's got the ability to be an F tight end or a Y tight end. He's got prototype size, and I think that the offensive scheme Penn State fired their offensive coordinator this year uh, did not always utilize him the best. Also, because he's a tight end, he always tight ends essentially. If your name is not Travis Kelsey. Is there a single tight end who's like the main pivot person in a passing offense in the NFL? I can't think of any single one. Every single one's like a one B. Kittle's great, Laporta's yeah, Kittle great. Could be Mark Andrews great, but like I would argue, Kittle's as much option three as he is number one because they that have has to do San
2: more than it has to do George yes. Kittle. That's what I mean. That's I agree, the, yep. Kittle could
1: be. Yeah, I agree. How uh, Pitts could be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'll take London in that scenario, but London's great. That's more London than anything, but. Uh, I think Theo Johnson has a chance to come in and really elevate himself in a really poor uh, tight end class this season because he has the prototype size, and I think he's going to test really well. He moves really well. I'm not expecting a Noah Fant level of performance from him as far as a combine with the height, weight, speed, uh, but I think Theo Johnson is somebody that you want to keep an eye on and could move himself in from I see the mock draft simulators. I see him in the fourth round sometimes. I think he's going to have a chance to go in the top 60 uh, when it's all said and done.
2: Yeah, he looked really good at the um at the senior bowl too. He was another guy there. And, and these are the guys I know that I that I liked. It's one of those, okay, I like how they played. Now let's see how they perform. I want to see more. Um, safety, I thought that he, you know, he's down. And, and when I think guys I want to watch at the combine, it's not so much for me of okay, he's a first rounder. How much higher could he get in the first round? I mean, he's a first rounder. I, I really already like him. I start thinking guys like safety Tyke Smith out of Georgia, who comes in. Day three pick played really well at the senior bowl. Um, a little short mm-hmm. for safety, but he's he's plenty big. He's 5'10, 206 pounds, and could come in. And I think that the Georgia guys have historically run really well at mm-hmm. these things. So I think he could make some money. But you know, for teams looking for a safety, I put the Broncos in there, they could use some safety depth on a late day two, early day three type pick. I'd keep an eye on Tyke Smith. One of the players that I know was uh, was talked about from Daniel Jeremiah that could have just blow the doors off at the combine. And you might know more about him as Nate Wiggins, cornerback
1: Clemson. Yeah. He's really twitched up a uh, good athlete, pretty slender. I am curious about his ability to handle guys in space as a tackler, but there was a play this last season. I don't remember. Maybe it was against Florida state where he chased a guy down 80 yards and then uh, the wide receiver open field and he chased him down and then forced to fumble, I think out of the back of the end zone or like on the one yard line. And he is just flying. He can absolutely fly. He's super twitched up. I do worry about the physicality and the size. Uh, He's just kind of a little bit skinny and slender to me. So there's going to be some tackling and questions about the, the catch point, uh, but he is long and he is twitched up and I'm expecting him to test really well. He'll probably end up being uh, my third cornerback, it's going to depend on what type of system you want to run as well, uh, but if you're looking for a more of a man cornerback out there, a mirror-ability guy, Wiggins might end up being team's number two uh, cornerback on the board. But uh, if you're looking for more zone ball skills coming downhill, physical, then you probably will like somebody like Keon Mitchell or a Cooper DeGene more. But Wiggins is a great athlete. I'm expecting him to test really well, uh, but definitely for more of a man-match heavy scheme. Yep. A uh, guy that I want to talk about here. Um, there's a few more. I mean, it's 830, but we didn't start until but we got like you we know, five, 10 minutes left. Uh, but another name here that's going to stand out for me, somebody that I went to the tape and I had hoped for more. But I. you can see the athleticism and he just drips it. And that is I'm going to say the name wrong. And I know Zach Powers is going to correct me on here and I should be better about names. And I'm sorry, uh, but that is Kingsley Sumatia. Uh, the He is big, he is athletic, and he is going to test extremely well. Um, he has uh, 6'6, 330 pounds, and he has uh, been registered at hitting 21.5 miles per hour as a freshman. Uh, really, they're expecting him to run in the 4'8s, four 4'9s. Four uh, and I'm expecting just, just to show um, from the BYU offensive lineman here. I did not see that as much on tape. I thought he looked a little bit clunkier. Uh, but somebody that, I mean, we just talked about to start the show, offensive linemen that run fast tend to do pretty well. So Kingsley, if he tests as well as is suggested from him, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he jumps your Jordan Morgans on the back end of the first round, or maybe some of those centers that uh, Daniel Jeremiah had going in the first because somebody's going to bet on the athletic traits. And I also think Kingsley has got the ability, if he fails at tackle, I think he can be a pretty good guard as well. So that matters um, when you're talking about back into the first round. So looking out for uh, Kingsley uh, out there from BYU. Do you think there's a typo
2: on this one? Because the senior bowl has him at six, four and three three twenty nine.
1: I think that I was dealing with BYU's numbers. um, And what they put out was not true compared to what the, uh, actual numbers are
2: yeah i think i think guard makes a little more sense for me um mm-hmm. he was at tackle at senior bowl and i wasn't overly impressed and he still plays a little high for guard so i'm mm-hmm. not i'm not overly high on him as yeah. a as a guy coming in um but if you test like a free... Kingsley there there's yeah, another their... kingsley there that i did like at center um and i can't pronounce his name either it's either iguakun or iguakun from uh from florida Kingsley did pretty well at center there as well. Um, again, I like day three guys to see what they might do. And there was a safety at Senior Bowl who just played hard-nosed, nasty. It was Evan Williams out of Oregon. Now, I don't know too much about him other than I want to know more watching him play in Senior Bowl. So he he measured uh, 5'11", 3'8", 202 pounds. So I want to see if he can get into, you know, the sub, into the four or five range, check that shuttle. Again, you heard me say it before shuttle and L cones for me are your athletes. Um, so keep an eye on those, but he's, he's a guy who made plays during uh during a time where it's not always a, not always easy to do. So at safety at the senior bowl.
1: Yeah. Well, fun. That's a fun name. I'll keep an eye out for him. Uh, I'm, again i'm so biased because i love the defensive line so much somebody that i've been kind of in your ear about here uh, over the last couple weeks scott uh, and i expect he might end up being the singular best tester at edge coming out of the combine and that is chop robinson out of penn state uh he is his get off and explosiveness and twitch are unbelievable um i know that i think i talked about him on here on I think it was Wednesday, Scott, actually, when we talked about the Falcons, so it would have been yesterday. Uh, but people go back to the the Penn State game against Michigan and be like, oh my gosh, they abandoned the pass after two drives. They don't trust J.J. Uh, McCarthy. It's like, I don't know. I didn't get that sense when I watched the game. I saw the right tackle for Michigan get beat. It, it reminded me of Broncos country. I don't want to give you PTSD. It had shades of Khalil Mack's five sack game versus Michael Schofield where it's like, this right tackle has absolutely no chance in hell right now. He is getting destroyed. Uh, so Chop Robinson, he's going to test great. Uh, he does not really know what he is totally doing just yet as far as a pass rush plan um, because he's been able to win purely on explosiveness and athleticism. Uh, but he is—he was unbelievable this season. They moved him around a bit, especially on third downs. Uh, He—I think he's a Nick Benito mold kind of player where he's, I think early on, he's a really twitched up, uh, bendy explosive pass rusher who I have questions about in the first and second down ability to set the edge. Uh, but he's more, he's, I think he's longer than Benito. I think he's a better athlete than Benito. I think he's more spring, uh, springy than Benito. I think he's going to test great. And I expect him to go somewhere in the 25 to 35 range, uh, excuse me, 20 to 35 range, maybe even higher if he tests, freakishly i know that the tape is not always there especially the run defense and the pass rush plan but teams are going to sell themselves on athletic testers at edge so chop robinson's one that i am really curious to see because the tape is the get off is probably second to none in this class if you're going to be a one-trick
2: pony sacking the quarterback is a pretty good uh, a pretty good trick to have a uh, couple of edges again going off, off lesser name guys because you say chop but you know, I rewind back 10 months and you were saying, you know, Penn State's got three guys that could be number one at their positions and they've fallen off a little bit. Olaf mm-hmm. Ashanu, Kalen King, and Chop Robinson. Why has Chop Robinson fallen?
1: I, you know, what, I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's probably because the, he's really pressure oriented, but he has not gotten the high amount of sacks. Uh, and I think that Penn State really didn't put themselves in a position to be in the talk, uh, be a talking point team this season. They failed in their big games. Uh, So chop was good this season. Uh, He does have questions again on first and second down as a run stuffer. Uh, But the, the athleticism is undoubtedly there. I don't think he's a five tool uh, edge rusher. So again, you have to have a specific plan for him in my opinion, but he he wins in a way that is going to matter. Um, So I, I think chop is somebody that you want to keep an eye out for uh, in this one. Also, Scott, you, we, I talked about him a bit and you started the show today unprompted, but, uh, and we talked about him already, but, uh, Isaac, uh, out of Penn state as well. I expect him to test awesome, uh, for Penn state. Also, uh, he's probably somebody, I think we had a mock draft recently where we took him in the third round. I think he's going to end up going in the top 50. Uh, if he tests as well, I mean, super long, if he tests as well as, a uh, I think he can. He might even sneak into the back end of the first round. I think that, like from pick twenty to pick fifty, a lot of times it's very variable from team to team. So Adisa Isaac uh, is one that I think is uh, you want to keep an eye on uh, as well.
2: Yeah, he's almost <clears throat> almost 6'5", 250 pounds. So he'll he'll play at 260, 265 by think by the time things are all said and done. Um, the the one v ones are for show. They really are, and they are they're really exciting. They get my most views and. There are two guys, Big Ten guys, on that on that team at Senior Bowl. That uh, Adisa Isaac was one of them. That didn't necessarily show in the one v ones, but then once they went to eleven v elevens, they wreaked havoc on guys. Adisa Isaac out of Penn State was one of them. Jalen Harrell out of Michigan was another. Was one of those guys that when I put these together, starting the next, starting today, I'm putting those together. Keep an eye on Jalen Harrell. He came in at six, three and a half, 251. So a little shorter, but a little thicker Um, could be a good option. You start looking at edge on NFL mock draft database. Again, it's, I don't know if everybody cares as much as as we do, Mm -hmm. Uh, but Jalen Harrell is, I don't even find him 204 on the NFL mock draft database. I get Jalen Harrell in the seventh. I'm doing backflips. Justin Abogi from uh, Alabama is another one of those guys. I thought he did really well, and he's 290-something pounds. So uh, I'm interested to see how he does because he's ranked really low, and he came in at 6'4 and an 8, 292 pounds. Um, and again, could be one of those guys, oh, he's only got 32 and 7-8 inch arms. He'll have to fall because he's he can't, he can't beckle his own belt. Yeah, well, then he goes in and just whoops everybody's ass that you put in front of him. Those are the kind of guys that the Ravens, the Steelers, the chiefs end up drafting at the back end of whatever round you passed them on. And then you wonder why they have so many good football players.
1: Yeah. Speaking of good football players, I had one more Scott uh, that I did want to mention here. And that is Michigan defensive lineman, uh, Chris Jenkins, the son of longtime defensive tackle out of uh, uh, Carolina, uh, Chris Jenkins, different type of player. Chris Jenkins, the senior, the dad, uh, was more of, you know, the nose tackle 330 pounds, really good, uh, plug compared to Julius Peppers on the outside. Chris Jenkins, junior, uh, son at Michigan, a little bit more high cut, a little bit more one technique, three technique type, not the, uh, the, the pure plug. And he had a really is supposed to test really great. Uh, Scott, um, he, uh, 307 pounds. Apparently has uh, 32 reps on 225 pounds on the bench. 760 pound uh, combo. Uh, really supposed to test great. 716 three cone. 433 shuttle. Uh, nine foot seven one six
2: for an interior defensive lineman.
1: That's what they say at Michigan. Coming I'm out. sold. Yep. And yeah, a I'm vertical sold. of a vertical of 34 inches. Uh, so they expect him to test really well. I'm, I'm a little bit worried because the the tape did not always show that level of player um in my opinion i wonder if he's a little bit high cut i'd love to get him a little bit more mass under his belt you know i don't know if he necessarily has that bubble but (laughs) that you're looking at God talking about combine stuff or prospect stuff is so weird sometimes but he doesn't have he doesn't really carry the sand in the pants that i had hoped for uh but (laughs) he is the pants yeah you know just i wish he's a little bit uh thicker in that regard uh with his profile with his power profile, uh, but a really good player. And one reason I think that he wasn't as prevalent this season is that Michigan has two other defensive tackles this upcoming season that are going to be in the conversation for 2025 as first round picks um, in Grant and uh, Graham. So next year's defensive tackle class probably be better than this year's. And because of that rotation of interior defensive linemen's Jenkins didn't play a huge snap volume, but I'm not going to hold that against him uh, too much. He's going to be a really good athletic tester and there's a lot of good stuff on tape as well at Michigan. So I'm expecting him to go somewhere round two and end up being a really good player for 10 years in the league.
2: All right. Well, Michael Ranquillo is is uh, the sunset today. He's going to get us out of here. He says, great show today, Nick and Scott on Broncos for breakfast, go Broncos. I think that's probably about going to wrap it up for us, Nick.
1: It is. Yeah. Make sure you guys are following Scott and I on Twitter. Scott is at scout Kennedy. I'm at Nick Kendall, MHH. Also follow us at mile high huddle. Uh, Follow us at uh, facebook.com forward slash mile high huddle pod. And as the ticker says here underneath, please subscribe to our show, like our channel and share on social media platforms. There's any players that uh, we did not get to today. um, Please uh, hit us up. Uh, There's obviously going to be more edges and, Again, our Scott and I's, especially mine, but the bias kind of came through today because it was edge rusher, defensive tackle, edge rusher. I'm glad we could get Theo Johnson in there as well, Uh, but good to get the defensive guys a little bit of hype uh, because it seems like the NFL draft cycle this year is offense, offense, offense. Quarterback, wide receiver, offensive tackle, Brock Bowers, reverends. We're going to have to have the Brock Bowers conversation at some point, Scott, uh, as well, because that was really prevalent in Broncos country, but I'm not quite ready. I need to see the... uh, the testing first before I'm there with him. Uh, but uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here? As you take a sip of water. No,
2: just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, well, for me, the reactions to the combine are, are, are more impressive than the previews. So luckily we've got that coming up soon. But again, some of the guys to keep an eye on going in a, hey, I need a safety we need a defensive lineman. Some guys we think that could shoot up the board. The problem is, as a fan, you don't want them to shoot up the board if you like them. <laughs> like, man, I, I wanted this guy in the in the six where he was supposed to be. Pull a hammy, do something, you know? So it, it's, it's a little counterintuitive when we start discussing, oh yeah, I'm really excited. He had a great day. Now we can't freaking get him where we wanted him.
1: Yeah, that will be... That's always the case, man. Right? It was a who was it? Adafi Owe a few years ago. There's always some guys who fly up, and I know we had Cooper DeGene um, conversation in here in the chat as well. I'm a big, huge Cooper DeGene fan. I'm, I have I feel like I do a pretty good job putting the Bronco hat off when I come to evaluating this team, but I have a harder time sometimes with the Hawkeyes because I have good connections with people, some people in the organization there, and I hear who are the the A plus people. Um, it sounds like Cooper's an just unbelievable guy. And I don't think he's going to test at the combine. Uh, he broke his fibia, uh in practice with two weeks to go in the regular season. And unfortunately Someone said that in November that he wouldn't test at the combine. Nick, probably not. I, You never know. Um, you never know. Uh, but Wait for your pro day, get another month. That's exactly what it's going to be. Um, you're going to get him at the pro day. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate because he would have tested unbelievably and it might tank his draft stock a little bit because it's not standardized numbers. So like there's always an asterisk there a little bit if it's pro day stuff. Uh, But he is uh, probably going to be the pro day. So there
2: will be 32 teams there watching him. And if, if he puts on a show, it will still translate yeah now, exactly. it won't matter they'll know it's like okay well maybe this was it. and plus that track is so freaking
1: fast at Indy these days they changed it yep they changed you know it, it's right? like
2: why wouldn't you want to run there for god's sake so bonneville salt flats
1: yep they also because they changed all the drills to night there's something physiological um that uh, in the morning time people aren't as like you're not at your physical peak uh at that point because they were running at like you know 8 a.m they'd been up since like three because they had the medicals beforehand Uh, Now it's pushed to night and the numbers have exploded on top of the track being faster. So even then it's, you don't have really the historical standardization from a like clinical trials perspective, which is my line of work. Uh, But uh, Scott, no final thoughts. We got to get on out of here.
2: All good. Nope. Ready to go. Um, Thanks for everybody for being here. Want to give a shout out to our super chat superstars today. Troy, Miguel came in rock chalk and Michael Rancio several times. So thank you for helping to support the show and what we do here at MHH.
1: Yeah. Thank you guys so much. we will be
2: back on tonight with uh, with Zach. So we'll see see what we're going to talk about. We probably won't get quite as technical. I'll hand it off to Zach. You guys have heard enough from me. So
1: um, I'll, I'll be filling in tonight on the, the MHH pod. That'll be fun. That'll be great. Uh, and you guys have a great one. Um, yeah, Nick Scott does backflips for breakfast. Now that's uh get ready for the combine. Don't throw out that back though. I, I we got to get that bike ride. In I don't today, do backflips.
2: So. I don't go backwards. No. Um, I I'm bad in reverse. I've done one backflip in my life off a diving board just to prove I could do it. And that was just enough. to say I can do this. I do not go in reverse. In fact, my, my dad actually have a pilot's license. My dad said if they had reverse in airplanes, you never would have made it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you sound like, uh, Broncos, former third round pick, Brendan Langley, who the Broncos drafted uh, to play cornerback. He switched from wide receiver to cornerback. And then like three years in or two years in, he was so terrible at cornerback. He's like, I actually hate going backwards. Tried him at wide receiver and terrible pick in hindsight. He couldn't do it. But he drafted a guy who couldn't go backwards to play cornerback. That might be Scott. I don't know what's going on. Wide receiver for sure. Uh, Not offensive line. You're, You're attacking. You're going forward. I appreciate it everyone attack the day have a good one choose kindness and compassion we'll see you later go broncos
0: head on over to milehighhuddle.com for all things broncos good morning broncos country